0: You're listening to Teatro Mundi Live. I'm Andrea Cetrulo, program curator at Teatro Mundi, and this is the third podcast of our In Conversation series. Today I'm joined by Blanca Pujals, Ellie Cosgrave, and my colleague, architect Fanny Costuru, who will be mediating this conversation. Blanca is an architect, spatial researcher, and critical writer. Her cross-disciplinary practice engages with questions of geographies of power, the philosophy of science, and transnational politics. Ellie is a civil engineer and lecturer at UCL, as well as a trained dancer who has contributed to Teatro Mundi's ongoing project, Choreographing the City, taking a critical look at the way choreographic methods can be incorporated into discourses and practices in engineering. Welcome. Great.
1: Um so I was thinking that we can uh, we can have a conversation about um Uh, the common theme or a common interest that we all have about the human bodies and the politics of space. And I would like to start the conversation also for our audience uh, with uh, you both introducing some aspects of your work that are uh, most related to the topic. Um, So Blanca, um, you uh, published an article a few years ago in Phonambulist magazine um, with the title Bodily Cartographies Pathologizing the Body and the City. So, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about what, was the, ba- what the article was about?
2: Hi, and well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to talk with Ellie and all of you. The project Bodily Cartographies begins when I was studying architecture in the university where we learn to design spaces through the book Neufert, Architecture Data, that maybe you know, about architectural standards through anthropometric treaties of measurement. Bodily Cartographies, the project is a research and a project around the relationships between the architectural anthropometric archetypes embedded into the process of design and the anthropobiometric criminologies from the 18th century. During the Enlightenment, the new science of criminology arises following the theory of social degeneration. These criminologists created the science of anthropometrics, following Ketelet's new ideas of science of social statistics, described in its treatise of men, the average men. My research examines critically their approaches to measure, normalize, standardize and segregate bodies and behavior. Through these techniques, architecture becomes a speculative technology for ergonomic urban models for the typological archetype. And the science of social statistics and the regulation of social deviancy created during the European Enlightenment interweave with architectural discourse within the construction of urban fabric, through structures and systems of risk management and the modern city arise systematized to be optimal for the reproduction of hegemonic narratives establishing artificial thresholds, defining new frames of exclusion. Furthermore, it produces and reproduces invisible and visible borders on bodies, cities and territories. So, the city is planning a, as a human normalized body extension and our environment is designing a perfect ergonomic relationship with our archetype, a subject full of physical and moral connotation that defines its capacity to life and cohabit, describing not the normal, but the abject body.
1: Yes, um, yeah, that that was a great summary of the work. Um, I think there are much more depth into that that we can discuss further. But I think it it ha- it has a resonance very much with the work that you do and then you have been doing at the UCL over the last years on, um, again, looking at um, the I mean the title of the project is Choreographing the City. Um, and then that led also to various uh, videos and, and field workshops and working with engineers and uh, choreographers and dancers. Um, and, and the whole idea of, of how we can learn really from the bodies and from a choreographic and bodily thinking. So what, what, what was uh, exactly the argument or let's say the findings that you had from this kind of really interesting and multidisciplinary work? Yeah, um,
3: well... Thank you for that introduction, that's, that's um, exactly right and I guess just to say that my starting point was as a civil engineer and I was really fully a civil engineer right and we were tasked in my postdoc, uh, my postdoctoral research to, to um, look at the ways that engineering needs to be transformed to make livable cities. We were really, you know, and um, at that time I hadn't been in my work particularly exposed to philosophy, uh, philosophies or politics and discourses around justice, even though I had a personal interest in, in those um, topics. So, um, what we were attempting to do was not to look at how engineering products themselves need to be changed for a livable city, which is generally how engineers look at it. Like what does the, how do we need to make cleaner technologies or um, uh, yeah, transform the the products of engineering rather to look at what is it about engineering thought processes, methodologies, um, um, the things that they value that needs to be transformed that will result in uh, more livable, you know, even livable as a engineering, <laughs> lens i would say um and and my kind of i came to an understanding that if we want to radically transform the way engineers think we cannot look to engineering discourses (laughs) to see how we might do it better we need to look outside and for me dance was a natural place to go to both as the um because i have experience as a dancer um but also because I understood very deeply how connected um, and similar the asp- a lot of the aspirations and the approaches taken between dance makers and engineers were. In that, dance makers have a um, usually work on projects. They have um, a they deal with bodies moving through space and have to kind of somehow control for a certain purpose. They have budgets. <laughs> um but they're, they they are born out of different histories and different um uh through different trainings and i wondered um uh, my thesis was that there was something or in dance making that could be appropriated for city making and that also um dance is also a, for me a natural place uh, where philosophy, politics um, um, and ideas around justice meet the physical world Um, and that that, that, um, choreographers maybe have something to say about that. So just to quickly um, talk about some of the project research work that we did, um, uh, we paired a choreographer and an engineer um, and took them out into a, an interesting what we thought was an interesting mobility interchange, and we asked them firstly to um, document in their own way that they would normally document things, document what they saw. Um, we were interested in notation. We were interested in what it is that they focused on, what length, you know, what what frameworks that they they saw as things that that were important. Secondly, we asked them to. Um, talk about the possibilities or, or, or tell us what the possibilities were for this space we try to avoid using the word problem but obviously but not obviously but engineers did uh, focus on what, what's wrong mm. um, the possibilities for the space and then we just got them back in into um, into a room and asked them to explain their processes to each other Um uh, which was fascinating and really deep work that we're still actually unpicking um, many years later, some of the, the key insights from that, from that work. Um, but as I said, my, my key interest is expanding horizons and possibilities of engineering and engineers. Uh, and if we can appropriate, so, you know, one of my key thesis then was that actually, what would it look like if we improvised a traffic interchange? And what does what could what how by appropriating the the tool the design tool of improvisation Mm. how does that change what potential outcomes there might be um, in a traffic interchange and how do choreographers um, use improvisation very technically? that it's not seen as to kind of randomly go about and dance. <laughs> that is not what improvisation is, and that's not how choreographers use it as a tool. So, what are the technical tools of dance making that we're missing out on as engineers? But, but that's that's
1: very interesting because I think when you talk about improvisation, you talk very much about understanding the the movement and the gestures of the bodies and the capabilities that we have as an analytical tool for for designing, but also for um, uh, analyzing space. But at the same time, you also uh, talk in your work about uh, looking at the choreographic thinking or uh, uh, on the movements of the body as a way to really, like, describe space, Uh, like create a way of, um, instead of having the typical, the standard blueprint, uh, or having different ways of how, we design and we annotate our designs and we annotate our urban designs. And that, I think, has a very interesting like um, overlap with the work of Blanca in the sense that it is all about um, understanding the body as a scale, as, as, a, as a standard um, or normalizing the body as a standard um, designated scale and measurement through, through which we create the blueprint. Um, and I think um, this kind of 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 interesting of like what comes first? Is it the you know the scale and the body and then the design or the design and the body that has to appropriate and improvise? It's an interesting question. Um, I I would like to to invite you and maybe have some concrete examples about this relationship between body and space so that it can become much more clearer uh, what do we mean about you know exactly this um, relationship and how the bodies affect the way we design or, or and the other way around um, uh, maybe Ellie you can start with with that yeah.
3: I, mean, I think that's um, a super interesting question and I guess um, the, in, the, um, the most logical place for us to start when we were thinking about cities and dance-making was in mobilities. Um, it doesn't, that wasn't, it just seemed like a logical intersection. I think it is, it, it can expand further than that. But maybe just taking two examples of the different types of scales at which engineers think about mobility, um, urban mobility. Um, I, and the first is at the kind of macro scale, which is, um, uh, and we can think about it as, as our transport network. Um, and obviously there are justice and rights implications about who gets to go where, <laughs> um, what is accessible to whom, how, does those tra- how do those transport networks serve socially constructed roles um, or serve different types of um, communities based on, on um, race, class and all of those sorts of things. Like, How does it serve what our, our needs are? and how are we excluded from certain parts of public space, depending on parts of uh, our identity. And um, what, I, how, uh, what I understand of how um, engineers think about bodies in that context, in this kind of macro context, is really um, reducing um, reducing people to nodes with maybe certain weights or characteristics, this is like agent-based modeling, models where a person is a node and we can make all sorts of assumptions about what they who they are and what they do. Um based on that I think maybe um this is where we get into the into your territory blanker of of um overly rationalizing human experience so that we can model it so that we can make decisions. Um, so and these again are also about um ideas of of these are imbued with ideas of efficiency and practicality and also getting people where they need to be for economic reasons rather than justice or um, rights or experience-based reasons. Um, But I also, uh, so that's the macro scale, but but clearly we also deal with public space at a much more bodily level. Um, And I think that's um, the way this, I haven't done a huge amount of work in it, but I'm starting to think about the opportunities that dance makers might offer us in revealing the meaning that sits behind the ways in which public spaces affects Mm -hmm. our gestural, the possibilities of our our gestures. And I think about particularly um, me as a a female uh, Mm -hmm. young young woman living in London um, and my access to public transport and the ways in which I shrink myself for safety, or that I'm, you know, at certain times of day maybe looking at my phone. Um, the, uh, the way that we design tr- tr- underground stations, the way that, that you know things can be quite um, hidden, the way that we expect people to be proximate to each other or close to each other because they've got to go and earn money. <laughs> um, mm. So we must get on the tube. And what I, um, I don't know if engineering, as an engineering community, we're very good at understanding the meaning or the impact that designing these spaces in a certain way has, we don't know what it means that someone will be hunched for two hours a day or that somebody is uncomfortably close to someone or uncomfortably far away from anyone. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't know, <laughs> we can't codify the meaning of that. And I think um, to, to, to be able to um, reveal, not necessarily codify, but um, you know, have something to say about the impact of those, those physical things that we reproduce in our designed environment mm. to be valuable. And I'm, I really wanna explore those kinds of questions more.
1: Yes, yeah, I mean, especially now with the, all the, you know, with all the coronavirus, physical distances, as well as the the discussion um, and all the things we are learning from the Black Lives Matter voices um, about the, you know, ex- issues of exclusion and inclusion uh, based on race, but also as you mentioned, gender. There, I think they're quite vital, um, and. and Again, as you pointed out, we can go back to Blanca and talk about exactly how this standardization really even amplifies that exclusion, even even further. What is this average, you know, abject, um, not ob- like the average body that literally excludes all the non-standard abject bodies, as
2: you said? Well, uh, well. Um... Uh, an obvious example is the hostile architecture, for example, in our cities for the, that we experience in everyday life against the people living in the streets, for example. And in relation to this, I hardly recommend to read about the concept of aparophobia from Adela Cortina that points out that immigrants and refugees are not rejected because they are foreigners, but because they are poor. I think this kind of uh, standardization of bodies, also architecture is very powerful in this kind of things because also, for example, when I invited Lolita Chávez Tichkáquík, a Maya defender of of her land in Guatemala, she explained to me that when they are displaced of their villages because of processes of extraction from companies from Europe or America, they put them in these concrete buildings, for example, and this is something that is for the standard body in the European cities in a way, but for them it erodes absolutely all the relationships, all their movements of the relationship with the land mm. or the community, for example, the space of gathering. And also in Spain, for example, in the, during the dictatorship, Franco also put all the gypsy community, the nomadic community in, that we have in Spain in this kind of peripherical and um, mm-hmm. concrete uh, residential um, neighborhoods also to discipline their, for- their forms of life. No? It's a form of discipline through architecture, this kind of bodies. It's not only that we don't think in these bodies when we project the city, but also that we can use architecture or some governments can use mm-hmm. the architecture to discipline some of these practices, so both things at the same time. Mm-hmm. I find very interesting uh, on ellie 's work that we are working in standards, for example, in architecture, in this kind of bodily standards or normal body, but always is a static body, so that she's implementing this kind of movement when you impl- implement movement no? and then experience of the space time of these cities, mm. I think is a very powerful tool yeah, very mm. powerful. because it is the change because we are Working with abstract models, no, with databases and yeah, numbers, mathematical bodies, but not mm-hmm. this. Time is never included in this thing, and time mm-hmm. means gatherings, means relationships, means sound, means everything. Um, yeah. So uh, sorry, Blanca, you made me think a
1: lot about the when you were talking about disciplines and this, um, this kind of um, you know data and and. Um, um the way that we need to abstract to be able to address uh, a lot about the the you know the kind of like even protogenous dichotomy between science and art and i i think you know uh, the kind of understanding thinking with you know pure numbers statistics uh, you know um and in science and in the other hand understanding you know things that are much more complex and blurred that they are in space but also in time they yeah. have gestures they have movement there are there are things that they are not quantifiable and i think that here is is very much a question like um how can we, we, we overcome this dichotomy? We go beyond that. And that architecture is pretty much, is not either or, um, space is not. I mean, I think in, in engineers, we are very much like thinking in a very scientific kind of data-driven
3: way, right? No? Yeah. Well, this is, this is another thing that really, I can, I can talk for a while about this. <laughs> Stop me. <laughs> um, but I think it's a core issue um if we are going to be able to interpret people's needs and experience and rights um and um into the the um the the people who are making decisions in the city who have power and i this is power is a the central theme of this so what engineering um and, and I do come from an engineering background, so excuse me. Not I know architecture is much better historically at inco- and incorporating arts and and those sorts of questions. As engineers, we do not have the language or training to engage with those topics, and so we so for the most part, as an industry, the conversation ends because we don't know what to do. And as engineers, we do things and we make things and they're technologies. So if it's a social program, we're really happy, but it's not the important thing that we're getting on with. Um, And so what what we do um, as a society more generally is that we separate, artificially separate things into technical, um, non-technical, scientific, um, artistic, uh, male, female, um, carry on. As long as you like this kind of artificial separation between these two things, and we, co- we code one masculine and we code one feminine. And anything that is coded masculine is better and more important and can exert power over the other. Um, and so when we talk about things like uh, care, um, community, identity, um, that is coded feminine and therefore not important, interesting. Powerful, useful. Um, and so much better to show someone a model of something with huge, huge ab- um, abstraction, huge assumptions will seem much more true and much more value for money um, and uh, very much more, well, there's an expert involved, so I can feel safer about this than if we've spent a week talking, having tea with. The local mums group. There is something inherent that we think is more valuable about something that is um, seen to be sciencey. <laughs> and what I would say is that both of those things that uh, try to say that a, a, a consultation is not scientific is wrong. And to say that a scientific model or technical model is not artistic is also wrong that there's not intuition at play that there are not assumptions that so there's not something mm. about excitement to say and to take away the um the personality and the meaning behind it robs it mm. of its value so in that sense the way that we've divided the world up into art or science technology or community or care mm. <laughs> is not only incorrect but it's a It's damaging because we hide the bits of it, for example, in dance making, that are incredibly technical. Mm. And we hide the parts in science that are incredibly uh, personal. Mm. And so it's an illusion anyway. So stop it. (laughs) (laughs) We're to learn how to value social. (laughs) I'm just
2: working now my project is in arts and science with quantum physics because quantum physics explodes the idea of binaries. Like there is no anymore the reality. No. Mm. So we have these ideas were to construct, I think, as you said, no, a form of power, form of control. It's perfect to have these binaries and to have a hierarchy, because these binaries are not even equal. I mean you always have this hierarchy no, between these binaries. So, I think this now hopefully is changing because I think we are all, yeah, we all know that it's not real, this kind of science, art, um, woman, men. There are so many grades between woman, men, and this kind of thing, everything. For me, for example, in this kind of technical Mm -hmm. approach to the practice, I learned a lot from Santiago Cirujeda that he says that the architect only has the tool is a technician that has some tools, some expertise then to talk with the community and then to to give this expertise to the community to construct their own spaces, for example. It's not that we have to stay in our studio designing for people without talking with them because it's the practice of architecture. We are designing more for governments or companies or the market than from the communities. And Santiago Cirujeda, for example, I think is very powerful in this sense. In that sense that he uses his knowledge to give it to the community and then together construct self build or self-construct their own spaces no i think it's something that we need to understand that we are experts only with the tool but not with the knowledge something like this
3: mm.
1: yeah but that uh, totally i and i think now that we completely um got over these binaries and all these, like, taxonomies and, and categories and all this kind of putting people and, and behaviours into boxes to be able to, you know, um, deal with them. I guess the question is, what, how, how does that affect designers, like the cities? How, or where do we see those that don't fit even, even one box Where do we, uh, because, you know, we don't have to be one anyway. We are multiple things at the same time, different bodies, different um, ideas, thoughts, uh, feelings. So where do we see those that do not fit those categories uh, breaking through? How do we design cities that can accommodate and respond effectively to all kinds of different users, all kinds of different um
3: possibilities if you like well I'm sure if we had the full answer to that <laughs> the world would be it's a tough one. <laughs> That's true. But, I, but I would say that um that it kind of comes back to the original reason I started wanting to work with dance makers um because I don't see that engineers have understood really or 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 deeply understood, um, what it takes to integrate some of these political um, uh, and personal and embodied issues, because it is still an alien, an alien concept in a lot of mainstream infrastructure production. Um, what um, I have found or I have, or people have told me that they struggle with within these projects, especially people who are brought in to be the gender expert mm-hmm. in infrastructure projects. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, outwardly the project says we've got a gender expert brilliant we are you know ahead of the game and the poor gender expert is sitting there tearing their hair out being like these, these people these guys probably <laughs> uh, really um are not uh understanding what i'm trying to say and where the the um the the difficulty comes in is you know we create a gender marker right we're talking about standards they say well tell me what to do we'll make a standard So we used to working with standards and codes. So already we've reduced a lot of the important nuance and complexity into things that we think they're gonna be able to do something about. Um, And then we, so you say you need to consider this. And then they say, well, what does that mean for my design? And that's where the gender expert cannot say how to design anything because I'm not a designer. So Mm. you need to come to me here. If you want gender, if you if you want to um, uh, be able to make progress, I can't. I I can't come and do the design work for you. Mm. And so, the 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 deeper work of understanding and being able to deal with the fact a that you're not going to be able to solve everything, and you can't say great sexual harassment or um, or racial violence will never happen in this place because I have a panic button. Um, you can start to think and rethink about all of your design process and um, deal with that with a, with with uh, more reflexive ways of working. And so, it uh, we can try and start to come towards, or you know, um, engineering or infrastructure producers to to start to translate it into their language. But I think we need to also sort of seduce them into a more, more expansive ways of thinking mm. as well. To, um, to be able to sit with the discomfort that comes with not being actually able to have an answer, but to just understand the complexities and to understand what you are yourself contributing to and reproducing, it doesn't have to be solved. We have to get better. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. For me, it's a critical thing that we have to do all together. Just there is no one design. It's something that we need to construct now because we are aware of these things. For me, the important thing is that we all need to be aware and critical every time we design something. It's why I talk about bodily cartography. It's not because it's something that I want to say this is bad, but it's something that we need to know just to be critical. For me, it was very interesting that, uh, Mm -hmm. recently, I met uh, young people from the Black, queer, and trans community in London, and discussed with them the spaces, Mm -hmm. the spaces of gathering. It was super, very fruitful, because also they were architects, so it was very interesting how they talk about their spaces. And I think there are subaltern spaces hidden in the city and led by processes of Mm -hmm. affect and Mm -hmm. care, that you were saying, Ellie, this is very important. I think in this kind of subaltern communities, where people share their spaces as safe spaces for those communities to share needs, fears, experiences, dreams, tools, everything. And I remember that they were talking that they now are a little bit concerned because cultural institutions are offering them some spaces to gather, for example. But they are very critical to say, uh, yeah, they are offering these spaces for free, but why? And what do we need to give in, in return to these cultural spaces? Because for them, it's just the need of a space to gather together in a safe space. And yeah, I think this is something that if students from architecture, architects in these communities start thinking, they will find probably better designs and we need to talk with them also to, to, to so, take these ideas not to other kind of designs because i think this is something very open it's not affecting only these communities other communities or ourselves and this is very interesting the thing is very nice that we have people in these communities in our um as practitioners as well and also in, your, in, in the sense, for example, in your words in Teatro Mundi, that you are working with the Latin community. I think also we need to just look at all these Latin communities, not only in Elephant and Castle, but also I live in Camberwell. So all these people's gathering in the public space, I mean, they have a space in the public space where they share the music, very loud music, barbecues, because it's something very important for the community. Important mm-hmm. also in their countries. I mean, they are Londoners but also in their countries is a very important thing to do. And they appear in the public space in that, in that way. I think they have these spaces. Maybe it's not the yeah. space, but they are occupying these public spaces. Also in this thing, I remember when it was this uh, demonstration. No, so not only in relation to this only, I, I think I was very surprised during the demonstrations of um, Extinction Rebellion. Mm-hmm in the terms of who can appear to the public space, no? and do a demonstration that now is happening. I remember when the Extinction Rebellion demonstrations happened, the black community, for example, was saying that they were not allowed or prefer not to demonstrate their bodies in this kind of demonstration, because for them, if the police took them, can be more dangerous, maybe, no? that for other people. And this was something that was very alarming because when I went to this, to see these demonstrations, you realize that the kind of people that were there no? that maybe it's the people that is more allowed to protest in this way—I don't know. Yeah,
1: that's that's very powerful, very powerful. The the realization that um, you know that uh, different bodies have different powers, but also they they have to rely on different ways to how they can be heard and how they can amplify their voices, uh, depending basically on, on on the kind of the infrastructure they have. And basically that infrastructure is not the same for everyone. And this is where we start understanding that maybe that's the source of the problem, um, that we are not starting with the same kind of base or the same kind of... Um, you know, starting point. Um, I, I, I found it very interesting, another point that you mentioned, Blanca, about education, and I, and I feel that we should raise that because we are all academics and we are all somehow involved in universities and we are part of educating the next generation. So I guess the question is how can we really incorporate that thinking into the curriculum of the universities?
3: yeah for me it's a really central point um to to all of my teaching is is how can i how can i um teach teach this next cohort how to have conversations about cities and there's two things that are really um important for me in that like the obvious one that we we're, we're used to doing is to give them like key building blocks in like what what do we what are the things that we need to know about cities so that we can talk about them. That's one point. That's kind of what we're good at doing in universities, the history of all, you know, the different, different theories. Mm. Um, But the the second part of that sentence is how to have a conversation. And that's something that I'm not sure we explicitly um, teach well, and that I've been really working on with my students. So uh, a key part of how to have a good conversation is um, to know how to, how to, understand where somebody is coming from meaning that if they're coming from a a different discipline um, what what might they be um, groping towards what might their kind of key values be what are the ways in which they think about the world so that i can then at least Mm. uh, so that i can learn from them and and develop understanding the second part of having a good conversation is the ability to be able to be reflexive at some point. So uh, an ability to be able to think back, like mm. what was I doing in that conversation? What did I learn? How was I par- part or otherwise of, of, making, uh, of, of making progress in that? What would I do differently? What didn't mm. I understand? What excited me? That is all part of being able to have a conversation about a city. And so within my teaching, um, I, I have my students for all day on a Friday, which is a luxury. For me, I'm not sure about them, (laughs) but it means that in the first session that I have with them, day one, we talk about reflexive practice, and we I teach them how to be reflexive, and then for the last half an hour of every Friday, well, and then I give them a notebook that that's their reflect their reflexive notebook, and that's we spend half an hour. They don't have to share it, but they have to sit down and do that practice in the classroom. Of reflection um, and accountability and then in term two I'm also lucky to have an inter- interdisciplinary course but they all get given a different um, discipline where they have to go and do a literature review on how does that discipline think about cities mm. um, and then we can and then they present that and share that and work on from that perspective on a, on a challenge um, and so for me, being able to have these conversations in a constructive way across disciplines and understand the kind of depth of history and meaning um, is is a, a, a key importance because I think what we do is we train um, we train people in geography urban studies engineering architecture art the um, dance english literature all have something to say that's important to urban development mm. um, and then they go out and be people who are making cities um, and are dysfunctional together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, please. Oh, God, the architect doesn't understand how important I am as an engineer. Classic. Okay. Um, so we, we're sort of breathing in this dysfunction because of the history, but not because of where we're trying to take them. Hmm. Um, and the other key issue, I, that, so that's my postgraduate, undergraduates. Um, I have them for... Uh, so undergraduate engineering all uh, across the whole of UCL we have I think about 500 people on that course um but we um it, it's called how to change the world and it's looking at how to what is wow. your what is your it's problematic as a title at
1: the
3: engineer's role in in, in um Uh, making progress on social issues we do take them you know we do take them uh through kind of what they can and cannot address and sometimes some of their technical solutions are problematic (laughs) but um Mm. the kind of exposure to um to challenges that are beyond them is is um also really important and we are able to coach them um to towards a better understanding within that Um, but I think the problem, especially in engineering undergraduate courses, is that these students have been accepted on the basis that they're good at maths and physics and probably chemistry, um, mm. and that they would have been praised their whole life for being really good at that. And they're mm. esteemed by their, their friends and family because they're doing engineering at UCL because they're so smart. And so to teach them uh, about artistic practice, we have very clearly this power dynamic Mm. and that often ends the conversation this is not to do with me and it's an identity thing so we're trying trying to try and get in and I think that's you know um I've been I've been I've been adopting the word that Hagi Yakira, and you may know dance artist Mm. um uses which is like I want to seduce you and it's a feminine and it's a power I want to seduce you into my way of thinking. She uses that in her dance practice, is in her choreographic practice as well. She has an idea of what she wants to get, but she doesn't dictate the movement. She gets it out of you. She brings you to her, and I think that's what I'm. You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to seduce my students. That's very clear. (laughs) But there is some way of that. I don't want to um, to um, butt up against them and convince them in a very Mm. sort of Hierarchical, I'm, I've got the knowledge, you're here to learn. Yeah. Shut up and listen, wait, I want mm-hmm. to win you over. Yes, yeah. So I think there's some. What what about you,
1: blank? I guess that, that is uh, <laughs> yeah. quite different.
2: Yeah, well, for me, I try to teach my students that space and cities and territories is not an expertise that we acquire or have. But it's an experience of many people i think i was very lucky after mm-hmm. architecture i did the independent studies program with paul preciado and then research architecture at goldsmith that all mm. of us were a group of different practitioners so i think this was very interesting because we were all talking about spatial research in a way or city or movements in the city and bodies and everything but from different perspectives and the groups were like 15 20 people and all of us were like maybe one architect, but performers, artists, uh, I don't know. I think it's more rich if we can start thinking to share the knowledge or the the tools that many different practices have at the same time, not to just bring people from architecture. When I have only students from architecture or design, I'm trying to teach them, for example, the geopolitics and necropolitics of the design. That means that every time they are using plastic, for example, mm-hmm. or they are using concrete, I, I ask them to know all the history and the repercussions of concrete or plastic, for example, in the whole world. Just to understand that every time they are designing something, mm-hmm. this something affects many different people. It's not not you are alone with plastic and wow, this is su- a super cool design that can be reproduced. No, but this is affecting many things. No, you are not on here in your space. So I think this is very powerful for them because when they realize how they practice, affect not only in the city, but also the design itself, the materials affect a whole community of people. I think this is very important for them. They understand, they see their practice in another way, more like an, uh, affecting and affections, no? a chain of affecting and affections and affections than something that are you doing isolated in your... In your space and trying to produce something very cheap and easily to reproduce something like that i think mixed groups of people and interests and also um, a little bit of genealogy of politics and be critical on what kind of materials and things are you using i think it's very helpful to understand the practice mm. yes uh, basically
1: if i if i summarized like both i think understanding the like the critical thinking and reasoning, the reflective practice, as well as understanding the repercussions of each design decisions that you're making are vital if we are to start, you know, really thinking of what can be um, introduced or can be done differently in our field. Maybe we can bring the conversation to a close-up and then I can ask you, both making one final maybe idea or statement that you would like to, I don't know, a positive final <laughs> remark that we can end up with this um, yeah conversation.
3: Blanca, sorry. Oh, okay,
1: sorry.
2: Well, <laughs> no. I don't know. For this, like, I remember <laughs> that you at some point, not now, another day, you asked me like. What do you have to do if we don't have standards no? for example, for designing? I think this is something that we don't have an answer It's just working collectively, um, listening people, just working with other people. Yeah, the practices needs to be a little bit mixed, and just yeah, as I said t- just before, that to understand the repercussions of every idea we we put in a drawing. Every line we draw is not only a line, it's a chain of things no, that are happening in space and every everywhere and in persons everywhere. So for me it's just being critical. I don't want to say this is bad, this is good, just know what you're doing, just have a knowledge of what mm-hmm. you are doing
3: and then use it. I mean yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's perfect and really similar to the Contribution I wanted to make, which was, this is deep, lifetime work, and that's good, and that's okay, and because just because we don't have the technical answer that we can put in a standard that can be a rule to mm. solve it, um, well, uh, we don't. That that should be the start of the conversation. Oh, our tools aren't working. What else? To learn to sit with complexity and nuance and discomfort and um, uh, have a long view about history, the kind of arc of how we got to this, this point of that our cities look as they do. And where's the long view to the future as well? And what is our role in our small careers of nudging it into the one, mm. the one that we collectively think is is just, and we're not going to get it right, and we're going to make mistakes. And are we going to show up or are we going to go home? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we all
1: have to try. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, both Blanca and Ellie, Ellen and Blanca. That was amazing. Thank you so much for the conversation. It was um, really lovely to have you both for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was fun and it was inspiring and we can go back to our Friday and weekend and uh, feel much more positive about our world. Um, Thank you very much for joining us um, and accepting the invitation. It was really brilliant. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you. It was fun.
1: Yeah. (laughs)